so glad that you came. And I believe this is a place that God has us to be this morning. And we are so thankful that you are here. And we're thankful that uh, though Pastor Jeremy is out, that God has supplied somebody to be able to bring the preaching of the Word of God. And uh, this is a lifelong childhood friend of ours and also somebody who has been in the valley and uh, uh, loves the people of the valley, who has uh, not only that gone off and prepared himself to be able to thoroughly and uh, correctly pre preach and expositorily uh, open God's Word. And so we're thankful for Brother Tad and his family being able to be here today. Brother Tad, come on up and share with us what God has laid in your heart. And uh, we'll be receiving gladly and thankful for uh, your time this morning. All right. We'll, go with, we'll uh, start, we'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And the verses we're going to look at today are uh, going to be uh, verses 12 and 13. But we're going to read a little bit before that and look at that, uh, look at that, uh, give some context to this chapter as we start out. Uh, I've been here before and I'm always thankful to be able to be here at, at uh, Bethany and I'm just thankful to for the ministry that the church has in this area and just the blessing it's been to me and my family. And I'm thankful for uh, just the, the friendships that my boys have had uh, here and that I've been able to have uh, with many people here. And I'm, I'm thankful to be able to be here. I'm also thankful uh, for uh, the opportunity to preach God's word. And I, I'm excited to be able to do that. And as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, hopefully, uh, Lord willing, this is a blessing to you. My boys are here, three of them. One of them went back to the class. And then my wife, she wasn't feeling well today, so she's going to be, uh, she's out today. So uh, that's kind of a bummer because she's the better part of our family. And, uh, and, but it's me and the boys today. And so we'll be here and we're thankful to be with you. Let's look, though, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to go, and go ahead and read this. I'm reading the New King James, and so if you would follow along, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1, and I'm going to read all the way through 13. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things become our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some were uh, of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt, uh, tempt Christ as some of them also were tempted and destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation also will make the way to escape that you may be able to bear it. As we look at these verses and as we look at the, even the first part of this passage, hopefully you, as you... Uh, read along with me, you heard this word over and over again. You heard these first, this first section tells us 
that these things happen in the Old Testament for an example. The example was so that we, as we read these, and the Corinthians, as they read them, as Paul wrote them to them, as they see this, we wouldn't do the same things. Well, what were the things that they were doing? Well, we look at all the sins very clearly. Uh, sexual immorality, they were complaining, they were tempted, and they fell into temptation. But one of the things that they, they assumed is that since they were covenant people, since they were people of Israel, they thought whatever happened or whatever they did it didn't really matter. They could just act however they wanted, to, could actually choose sin over God, and it wouldn't be a problem because they were part of the covenant people. They actually they kind of thought that since they're in God's, uh, they were part of Israel, that these laws didn't apply to them. And it's very clear, Paul tells us they're an example written for our admonition so that we don't become like them. Because sometimes, as believers today, we think because we go to a church in a certain place, we're among certain people, we maybe have a certain family name, because grandma or grandpa or our mom and dad were Christians, we sometimes feel like everything's good. And this is really a wake-up call. This passage tells us, listen. Just because you think that you stand, just because of what you're thinking, don't don't assume that that's actually going to be the thing that keeps you. What keeps us to Christ is being with Christ. It's Christ alone, as we're saying, all we have is Christ. That's the only thing that keeps us connected to Him. And so don't assume that, like these others in Israel did, they assumed that because of what they had, they were okay to just dabble with sin, partake in sin, and live in sin. And so we get to verse 12. That's the context. And verse 12, start with that in mind, we see it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. This is a really common verse. In fact, we've probably all heard it before, maybe even memorized it, uh, memorized this one in, in verse 13. And we, we know this passage a little bit. You know, if we look at this verse and it tells us to realize, to take check, uh, to, to take a mental note of ourselves, to, to realize, I mean, this is, a, as it says, therefore, who, let, who thinks, I mean, this is a mental thing. We obviously have to use our brains to realize something's going on here. And we have to, as I put my first point is, we have to really check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. I don't know if you've ever been told that by your parents or your mom said that or, or as my wife sometimes uh, says to the boys, check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Kind of really it's an idea of wake up before something bad happens, right? And, and this is what this verse is saying. He, uh, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And he tells us, therefore, and he says the word therefore, though, so as any preacher has probably said before, if you see the word therefore, you need to look back and see, what is it there for? Why is that word there? So everything that he just said in the first part of that passage, he's saying, look, this is an example. These people in Israel thought they stood. They actually thought they were standing. They actually thought they were doing really good. But they didn't check themselves. They continued in sin. They were an example to us now as people that were in sin and they didn't stop sinning and they ran against God. And he tells us in this passage, Paul says, take heed. Don't fall into sin. Because when we fall into sin, there will be judgment. 
You know, pride tells us, pride tells us and makes us think that we can handle temptation. We can actually sin and, and it doesn't matter. But humility is, is us realizing that I need God because of my sin. Because of God, or because of my sin, I need God. He's the only one that can stop it. He's the only one that can change it. Sometimes we live in our own power thinking that I'm going to accomplish everything in my own might. But really, as we're going to see in this verse, God's going to give us a strength, and he's the one that we must rely on. You know, some of you, there may be some today that are here, and you may have never trusted Christ as your Savior. You may have actually said, you know, I, I'm like these people in Israel. I know I come from a good background. I have, a, in fact, I go to a great church. I, I have a wonderful history of Christianity in my family. But you've never actually personally trusted Christ as your Savior. Listen, Paul's telling us to watch out for sin and temptation. But I think it's very clear. One of the problems that happens is we think that because of something we did, or who we are, that's our access into glory, into heaven. And the only way that we can go to heaven, the only way that we can be with Christ for eternity, is through his shed blood. It's through his shed blood on the cross, and we believe, we accept his sacrifice, we believe in Jesus Christ, and we confess our sins. And if you've never done that, that is the way that you can stand. That's the way that you can be with Christ. So don't be prideful thinking, I don't need God. Pride blinds us and says, my sin's not bad enough and I don't need Jesus. But when we humbly come to Christ and repent of our sins, we realize that he's the only one that can save us from our sins. So, we're, so realize, don't play with sin. Don't play with temptation. Go to Christ and humbly submit to him. Look in verse 13, as we, as we go and we've, we've been told by Paul to really check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, take heed, watch out. He tells us in 13, in 13 about temptation again. He says, listen, no temptation has, take, has overtaken you except as, uh, such as common is as common to man. You know, the second point I want to make here today is this. The second point is this. Your temptation is not unique. Your temptation is not unique. You know, sometimes we think that our temptation is the only one, uh, we, we're the only one that faces temptation like this. Now, listen, we are individual people. We all have spe specific likes and dislikes. We all have specific desires. But really, categorically, we all experience very similar sins. In fact, we know from Hebrews, Jesus experienced temptation like we do. It says this in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. And that high priest is Jesus. That's who it's talking about. We didn't, we, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You may read a verse like that and think, well, Jesus, Jesus never had a spouse. You never had a wife like I have a wife. And, and I mean, if you had to put up with my wife, then you would understand, Jesus, maybe you would have sinned. And sometimes we maybe make an excuse and think, you know, we're the only one to experience this unique kind of temptation. And I don't think that's true. 
In fact, if you re remember, the church is the bride of Christ, and if you remember, the church often has run from, we have, the church has people like us in it, and we often run away from Jesus, and so in some sense, Jesus has a spouse that is often uh, very wicked and uh, oftentimes runs from him. Jesus has, when he was on this earth, he experienced temptation. In fact, we could categorically say, as 1 John 2, 15 and 16, we could kind of even label sins in these categories. It says this, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen, this is kind of, the verse 16 kind of gives us a category for sin. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And in fact, some people would say Jesus' temptation, when Satan came and tempted him in the wilderness, those were the three categories of temptation that Jesus experienced. Jesus knows our weakness. He knows what it's like to be tempted. And in fact, our temptation is not just unique. It's not unique. In fact, it, Jesus has experienced temptation like it, but other people around us have also experienced temptation very similar to us. James 1, 12 through 15 says this about temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So this kind of tells us temptation is kind of like, in some sense, there's a test or a trial that goes on. When there's a temptation that comes, temptation is not sin. But there is a point at temptation where somebody is going to say yes to temptation and no to God, or they're going to say no to temptation and yes to God. It says this in James 13 going on, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So really, any trial of the faith functions as, in some sense, a temptation for us. We're always facing choices. Every day, you're, in fact, today, right after this, or even during this message, you're going to have choices in your mind. Do I answer that notification and reply? Do I play a game during the middle of the service? Do I get bored and leave? After the service, you may say, am I going to stick around and fellowship with this person or I'm going to leave? We have choices all the time, right? Am I going to go to this, this barbecue restaurant or am I going to go somewhere else, right? We constantly have choices. Some of those choices are going to be just inherently, they're going to be just really, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter uh, morally so much what restaurant you go to this afternoon if you go to Cheddar's or Barbecue's. It's not really a big deal. But there are places that are going to have a moral choice associated with it. And they're going to often, there's going to be a lot of temptation that comes at you. And sometimes tests that are going to be brought up that are going to be turned into temptation. Sometimes that happens where we realize we're tempted by certain things. Lust or, or, we're, uh, lust or different things that we would see and say, that tempts me and I'm going to go after that. Or possibly anger, I know that I'm going to be angry at this person and I'm just going to give into it and tell them what I think. And so we're always facing these trials, these temptations. And the temptations and the trials that we face are not unique. Every human is unique, 
but the common problem that we have is temptation and sin. You know, sometimes our excuses are longer than the actual victory list that we have over sin. You know, we would say, I can make an excuse, so I give in to sin day after day. No one has a boss like mine. No one has a spouse like mine. My parents are this way. If anybody understood how mean my teacher was, if anybody understood how terrible these rules were, and if anybody understood how little I get paid, they would understand. If anybody understood the stress that I'm under, they would, they would, if they knew the stress I was under, they would understand why I give in to that sin. And Paul's saying, no, your temptation's not unique. Your temptation is common. In fact, some people would even say, and they are in very difficult trials, nobody's ever experienced the pain and the suffering that I've had to. I mean, my, my stepmom this past two years have been fighting stage four cancer. And praise the Lord, just recently, uh, she's been cleared of it. And her next scan is in June and uh, doesn't have to have treatments until then, which is a blessing. But I could see somebody like that saying, nobody's experienced what I've had to go through. And just giving in to bitterness and hatred. And we can sometimes just make so many excuses that we say, instead of following God, I'm just going to give in to temptation. I'm going to give in to sin because there's no other choice. We all of a sudden get into this point. We think our temptation's unique, but it's not. We think there's no other choice. All I have to do, all I can do is sin. But listen, the rest of this verse gives us so much hope. Look in verse, look in verse 13 in 1 Corinthians 10. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except as common to man. But listen to these words. These next three words are critical for what we understand here. But God is faithful. Let me tell you, the foundation of us fighting sin and having, having daily uh, winning the battle against sin, the, the, the key is these three words. God is faithful. Now, if you don't believe that God is faithful... You're going to constantly fight sin, and you're going to constantly lose because you're going to think it's all on me. But you realize God has actually given you the ability to resist sin and actually win the battle against it. It says God is faithful. And we know this from the, from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Therefore know that the Lord God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenants, and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And 1 Corinthians 1.9 would even tell us in this, this same book, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul, throughout his, throughout his gospels, that, or throughout his epistles that he, he writes, he emphasizes God's faithfulness. And he emphasizes it here, the fact that God is faithfulness. And the problem that we have is not, is not God. The problem does not lie with the faithfulness of God. When we face temptation, it's not the faithfulness of God that's in question. But it's the question of man's faithfulness to God. It's the question of, are we willing to believe God and obey? The power of this verse rests in God's faithfulness. But he goes on and he tells us how to face temptation. 
he goes on and he rest, he, he, found, he puts a foundation of God is faithful. And then he goes on and says, this is how we handle temptation. And so under the fact that God is faithful, we would see this, that there's no temptation beyond our ability. Look in the end of that verse. It says, who, uh, God is faithful. Who will not, so who is, who's it talking about? God. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Do you believe God's faithful? If you believe God's faithful, then this next part of the verse should be true. Who, talking about God, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Remember the excuses that we have? Nobody's experienced trials like this. There's no way out. There's no way for me to face my sin and not give in. Or face this temptation and not give in. I have to sin. That's the only way. And this verse is saying, no, that's not true. God is faithful. He will, ne- he will never give you temptation beyond your ability to handle it. God will never allow you to be tempted above the ability that he's given you to withstand it. That power for the believer is through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. When we put the Word of God in our mind, I mean, who wrote the Word of God? Well, God, through these men, he, he inspired their words, right? So it's the Holy Spirit. And we put the word of God in our heart and we memorize it, we know it, we study it, we think about it. The Holy Spirit that lives in a Christian takes the words that he's written, brings them to mind and helps us overcome temptation and sin. That's how this works. And God doesn't put stuff in our path that he knows is going to make us fall. God allows us to be able to withstand these temptations. In fact, God doesn't tempt us He gives us the way out of the temptation. Our desires are where we run to temptation. Now, I mean, you think about this. Temptation is interesting. You know, we probably even see this even in in some different animals. I have a a dog named Tex, and he is um, partly insane. Okay, he's a German short hair pointer, and he's really, really active. And he's naughty. Um, And so yesterday, we're... I was grilling hamburgers last evening, last night. And so on the grill, right, there's, there was a section of the grill that's kind of cool, and I had moved the burgers that were done to that section. And I went inside to grab a plate. And the dog is out there, right? I'm on the back porch, and he's out there, and, and he's obviously tempted, right? He smells the burgers. He's been watching me cook them. He's been sitting there like a good boy watching, you know, thinking that he deserves this. And the moment that I go inside to grab the plate, what does he do? He takes the opportunity, and don't worry, he's okay. He didn't get burned or anything. It's a cool part of the grill that the burgers were just resting. He jumps up and grabs one, and right as I'm open the door, I say, Tex, what are you doing? Right? And, uh, and he, he drops it, and uh, he runs away and knows he's in big trouble, right? That temptation was pretty strong for him. The temptation there to grab a burger off the grill was too much for him to overcome. You know, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have the Word of God. He only has, you know, Tad Wykopen, his, you know, whatever master or whatever he calls, thinks of me, the guy that gives him burgers. He only has me to stop him. And so what do I do to help him not grab another burger? Well, he's got a kennel, and we stick him in there and say, why don't you stay there for the rest of the evening, right? 
And, and we realize that that makes a lot of sense. We should have done that beforehand. We should have said, hey, the temptation was going to be too strong for him. Put him in the kennel while you're cooking the burgers. That would have been smart for me, right? You know, it's interesting that as believers, sometimes we know exactly what we can do to prevent us from either being tempted or giving in to sin, but yet we willingly put ourselves at the base of the grill, smelling the hamburgers, thinking, this is all going to be okay. It's going to work out fine. You may struggle with what you look at on your phone, spending time watching stuff that's going to be junk, maybe going to a bar with friends that you know is going to be too much for you to handle, maybe getting putting yourselves in situations that you know is going to turn you against your spouse, against your kids, putting you in situations where you're going to, get, going to get upset with coworkers, whatever it is, you keep putting yourself in situations that you know are not going to wind up good. And sometimes you even know before this happens that this is going to be a bad situation. But you just willingly put, willingly put yourself there. Like I sat there and just left the dog right in front of the grill. Well, that was a bad idea for me. It's a bad idea for us when we sit there and entertain sin. We let it into our mind or just say, let me dabble with it a little bit. Let me click on it just a moment. Let me just experience it for a second. But I'm strong enough. I'm strong enough. But we must realize we're putting ourselves in a terrible situation. God's not putting us in a situation that can be tempted beyond our ability. Often we are. We would say, we can stop. And God said, you could have stopped 30 minutes ago. You could have stopped 10 days ago. You could have stopped at any time. But you put yourself in a situation where you're going to just say, I'm going to give into sin. You know, it seems like the Bible has told us that sin is deceitful. It deceives us, meaning it makes us think that we can handle it, that we can play with it, and we're not going to get burned that it's not going to get uh, that it's not going to hurt us let me tell you sin destroys sin kills you know when we were when i was younger my dad had an offshore boat uh, a boat that we would go offshore fishing with and we would go out into the uh, gulf of mexico and we would would sometimes find these rocks that were you would only see in the we had you know numbers that we would go to and and there were these rocks that the snapper were on, right? And you've probably all eaten snapper, and it's excellent. And so that's what we were fishing for. And we would use this chum, this bait, and we would throw it over the side of the boat, right? Just free free food, right? We All this free fish for these snapper. And they would come up, and some, a lot of times we wouldn't anchor. And we would start fishing. We'd start catching a bunch of them. And the boat, if you know anything, if you've ever been fishing, and you know if you're not anchored, the boat's just going to drift. But as long as we kept feeding them, as long as we kept throwing a few pieces of free fish out there, right, free little pieces of bait without a hook in it, they kept following the boat. And sometimes we'd look down and we'd be 500 yards away from the rocks. Those rocks provided those fish safety. That's where their home was. That's where they felt secure. And you know, they just kept being lured away by that free food, right? That's sometimes us. God has given us the way to escape. 
God has said, I'm not going to tempt you, or you're not going to be tempted beyond your ability. God says he won't tempt you, and you're not going to be tempted beyond your ability. But sometimes we just keep following that sin or that temptation and just chasing it and thinking, it's not going to hurt me. And all of a sudden, we look up a year later, maybe even five years later, and realize, you know what? I should have nipped this sin in the bud. I should have stopped right when I was tempted the first time. But now, my marriage is in shambles. My heart is deceitfully wicked. I can't stand the people that are Christians because I, I, my heart is so bitter because I, I keep following after sin. You know, often a marriage isn't going to be ruined overnight. It can sometimes happen like that, but many times a marriage is ruined by somebody just doing things that are immoral momentarily, little after little, until it grows into a huge sin. A person's life is not ruined usually overnight. Often it's just a little temptation that they give into and give into more. Then it becomes so much they can't handle. Young people, just understand, this is how it even works for as you get into junior high and high school and even into your college years, you're going to be tempted. And little by little, you'll be saying, you know what, I don't need Christ and to follow him as much as I think I used to. Mom and dad said these things, but it's just not as important. And those little temptations to say no to God and yes to sin start to dull our minds. And all of a sudden, we're so far away from God, we, don't rec- we wouldn't even recognize ourselves. We probably even have friends like that. I know I do. People that I went to college with, and even they studied to be a pastor. And little after little, they just kept giving into sin. And they kept giving into temptation. God says he gives us a way to escape. Look in the last part of that verse. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's always an exit plan. There's always a way out of of temptation. There's always a way out of even a bad situation. There's a way to get out of the danger. God gives us a way so that we don't have to sin. Think about Joseph in Potiphar in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife says, sleep with me. And Joseph says no and runs away. And his way of escape led to prison. Sometimes the way of escape is not easy. Sometimes the way of escape is not pretty. It's not wonderful, but it is the way to get away from sin. You know, Joseph's choice could have said, let me sleep with Potiphar's wife because the other other, uh, option is either death or prison. And that's an awful way to go to say, you know what? Sin is the easier route. It's more convenient. Let me take that route. No, Joseph said, I'm going to go run away from sin and whatever the consequences are, I'm going to live with them. And he wound up living in prison with them for years. But it is always right to serve God. God has his plan for your life. And it always is us saying no to temptation and yes to him. Because he is the one that is faithful. My family, my brother and my dad, and actually 
and a couple of my brothers and my grandparents, they've all been in, in this uh, industry called uh, fire protection industry. And they, they put sprinklers in buildings. And, and uh, so, you know, the hotels or DHR, any of those hospitals being built, a lot of those sometimes uh, they're putting in sprinkler systems for those things. You know, they, they also, when they're, when they're building those, they also have to think about the exit plan, right? And even in this building, you would see these, these signs that say exit. And that's very, very helpful because if there's a power outage and there's a fire or something, those are supposed to stay on so we leave, right? And I have a brother, one of them says every time he goes into a building, he's just wired this way because he's in fire protection. He's always looking for the exit. And in fact, he'll go when it's a big area, a huge building, he'll often go and sit at the table that's closest to one of the exits in case there's a fire or whatever it is, he can get out. And I know that may sound crazy, but hey, when that's your job, that's what I guess you do. But I think about that, and I wish that was the mentality that we had when we faced temptation. I mean, God says right here, he's faithful And he says, he's going to make a way to escape temptation. But oftentimes, we're not looking for the escape. We're not looking for the way out. Sometimes we're sitting there dabbling with sin, just saying, you know what? I kind of enjoy playing with this temptation. But God says, I provided a way to escape. Take it. Run away from it. And we sometimes falsely think, I can sit here and do what I'm, what I'm doing and going on this path, and it's not going to hurt me. But God makes a way to escape. But he also says he makes a way, as it says in the end of that verse, that we would be able to bear it or endure it. Sometimes the escape is not so clear that we just get away from the situation Sometimes there's a temptation and we just are going to have to endure or bear it and say no to sin. That's sometimes what happens. It says this in the end of the verse, that you may be able to bear it. Sometimes you may be in a family that you're going to constantly be bombarded with evil. You're going to be in a situation where you can't get away from the sin that's around you. I know even kids in our youth group that that I love dearly. I know when I drop them off at their house, nobody in their family is saved. And, And their whole environment is going to be wicked. And and I would love to be able to remove them from it. And the way to escape is sometimes not so clear. It's simply they're going to have to bear it. They're going to have to endure and say no to temptation, even though... It's going to be constantly there, even from their family, which is so sad. But we are able to bear it because we see that those three words, God is faithful. And if we believe God is faithful, we can fight sin and say no to it. Let me close here. We don't have to sin. Temptation, temptation is inevitable. You are going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. But sin does not have to be inevitable. You don't have to sin. You can, you can say, God, I will not sin. But sometimes we sit here and think, you know, I can handle it. I promised God I would never do this again, but you know what? I'm going to dabble in it one more time. Sometimes you may say, even to me today, Pastor, this is, 
This is not a big deal. I mean, you're being too old-fashioned. You know, you're overreacting. I would say, no, we often are so deadened to sin in our world that we say it's not a big deal. Let me encourage you. If you're struggling with the same sin over and over again, start looking for the escape. If the alcoholic that constantly goes drinking with his friends after work says, I want to stop drinking, but keeps driving by the bar, and he sees his buddy's trucks sitting outside the bar, and he's like, hey, there's Joe. I'm going to go with him. I'm just going to go in there, and I'm going to drink a Diet Coke for a minute, and then I'm going to go home. You know what I would say that guy is? He's dumb, okay? Right? He's just not thinking right. There's something wrong because he's saying, I'm just going to put myself in a bad situation. And you would say, yo, that's super foolish, an alcoholic like that. But then we're going to go home. We're going to go spend time on our phone or the internet, spend time with people that may turn us from Jesus. We're going to keep putting ourselves in those situations. Let me encourage you. Sometimes the way that we escape is prevention beforehand, saying, I'm not going to put myself in that situation. I'm going to take myself out of it or say, there's no way that I'm going to be tempted by this because I can't stand it right now. I'm not able to bear it, so I have to escape it before it even comes. But a pastor that once I was uh, in his church, he once said this, and it was really profound. He said, People are going to do what they want to do. People are going to do what they want to do. You know why people often sin? It's often because we want to. Do you want to serve God who's faithful to us? Or do you want to sin? And often it's a hard choice because sin is pleasurable, it's deceitful, and it calls us. God says, I've made a way to escape. I am faithful. I am faithful. And since God is faithful, we can overcome sin. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that even in these verses, we can base the foundation of what we believe in your character. Thank you, Lord, that we can base the foundation of what we believe in the fact that you are faithful to us. Lord, uh, the fact that you are faithful gives me confidence that no matter what comes in this world, no matter what even we face today or the next years, Lord, we know that you're faithful and you're going to give us a way to escape. You're going to allow us to endure temptation and defeat it. And I pray, Lord, that we would take those avenues to run from sin and run to you. Lord, thank you so much for Christ who defeated sin death and hell at the cross who has conquered Satan that we can have eternal life with. And I pray that we would run to Christ and run from our temptation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the word of God, for your sake and your salvation that you give. It's in your name we pray. Amen.